Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. In November, students at a historically black university in New Orleans led a massive protest against a speaker heavily supportive of Donald Trump. Socially engaged Dillard University students, the group organizing against the speaker, wrote an open letter. They said, quote, his presence on our campus is not welcome and overtly subjects the entire student body to safety risks and social ridicule. This is simply outrageous. The speaker's safety was guaranteed by the university, and he proceeded to explain, quote, I will be Donald Trump's most loyal advocate. The protesters were of the political left. They chanted, no KKK, no fascist USA. Protesters were hit with pepper spray and two of them were arrested. So here is the question for you. Did this make inviting the speaker worthwhile? The answer should be obvious. From this account of events, you don't have enough information to say. The speaker could have been Sheriff David Clark or Rudy Giuliani or Newt Gingrich or Milo Yiannopoulos. It wasn't. It was David Duke, who also said at the same event, quote, there is a problem in America with a very strong, powerful tribal group that dominates our media and dominates our international banking. I'm not opposed to all Jews. If you did not answer that the story provided too little information for you to judge, it's time for you to check your biases. Did you decide that the speaker was on the right because the protesters were on the left? Did you decide the speaker had something valuable to say if he ticked off the left enough, if he melted enough snowflakes? Unfortunately, many conservatives have embraced this sort of binary thinking. If it pisses off the left, it must be virtuous. Undoubtedly, that is a crude shorthand for political thinking. It means you never have to check the ideas of the speaker. You merely have to check how people respond to him, which is dangerous. It leads to people supporting bad policies and bad men. The enemy of your enemy isn't always your friend. Sometimes he's your enemy. Sometimes he's just a dude sitting there minding his own business. You don't have enough information to know. The logic of if he melts snowflakes, he's one of us, actually hands power to the left by allowing leftists to define our friends. It gets to choose whom we support. This isn't speculative. It actually happened during the 2016 primaries when the media attacked Donald Trump incessantly, driving Republicans into his outstretched arms. The media's obvious hatred for Trump was one of the chief arguments for Trump from his advocates. They said, if as his detractors claimed, he wasn't conservative, why would the leftist media hate him so much? Now, to be fair, after Mitt Romney was bludgeoned at the hands of the media, there was at least a shred of justification for this logic. Romney wasn't a hardcore conservative. He wasn't a personal shambles. He got savaged by the media anyway, simply for the sin of having an R after his name. The same thing happened to John McCain, a maverick Republican the leftist media had openly praised for years. If the media opposed Trump with all their heart and all their soul, that must have been some sort of reaction to Trump himself. It wasn't really, though. It was a combination of factors, including the fact Trump was amazing press and the press thought Trump was really weak. More honest leftist commentators openly preferred Trump to more conservative candidates like Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. But Trump's war with the media carried him to the nomination and from there to the presidency. In fact, Trump continues to live off of this backward logic. His press conference last week, it wasn't a ballet of informational expertise and policy knowledge, nor was it a brilliant recasting of his policy successes. It was a blunderbuss attack on the media, and it was extremely entertaining. It was occasionally daft. It was occasionally ridiculous. 
But a lot of people on the right immediately concluded it was the most successful press conference in the history of the world. Not because it was actually successful with Americans, there was not a lot of evidence of that, but because it was successfully assaulting the media who had it coming. Never mind if Trump lied to the media, the media were angry, which meant it worked. Watching Tud Chuck Todd fulminate and Chris Wallace rage and Don Lemon bemusedly tut-tut, it scratched conservatives where they itch and it made Trump a hero. None of which is to argue that Trump is lefty or that conservatives are wrong to support a lot of his policies. We'll talk about his policies in a second. But if your standard of right and wrong is whether the left hates it, you're making a category error. It is not good enough to just be opposed by the left. You actually have to oppose the left. We must ask what someone is fighting against, not merely whom. We must ask what tools they're using, and we must insist they use the truth. Ideas and values matter more than identity. But not anymore. The left's identity politics focuses on race and ethnicity and sexual identity, aspects of identity that place you somewhere in the hierarchy of intersectionality. The right's identity politics comes with a label, enemy of the left. So long as you're wearing that button, you're presumptively on our side and you're nearly bulletproof. Until it turns out that you're not. Until we jump the wrong way because we substituted political laziness for a philosophy. Until we embrace somebody nasty because the other side hated him or her and stopped caring about the truth so long as the other side is triggered. Then we become the bad guys. And that's a big problem. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so I want to talk a lot more about sort of this enemy of my enemy is my friend routine that we're getting from a lot of folks on the right, why that isn't true, and how we can actually identify enemies in a second. We're also going to talk about Donald Trump's policies. He's rolled out a bunch of policy that's actually pretty good, and I want to talk about a lot of the policy that he's been rolling out. But first, we have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Legacy Box. So I've been saying for a long time that one of the most important things that you can do in your life is preserve your memories because... Over time, you lose memories. Over time, the memories dissipate. People die. People move away. And what Legacy Box does, it makes sure that you can preserve all those old memories. So you've got a big box of moldering film in your ba- in your basement or in your in your attic in your garage. Instead of it just sitting there, you take all that stuff, you pack it up, you ship it off to Legacy Box, and they immediately transfer it. They they reconstruct it. They transfer it into a DVD. They put it on a thumb drive for you. So now it's all accessible. It's a simple, affordable way to get your recorded moments digitally preserved on DVD or thumb drive. 250,000 families have used them, including my own parents. For a limited time, go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben. You get 40% off your order, which is a pretty major discount. 40% off your order when you go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben. Use the slash Ben so they know that we sent you. And again, I think that this is about the best use of your money that there is because you know, once those memories are gone, they're gone. And if something happens, if your basement floods, if there's a fire, you don't want to be in a position where you lose all those memories just because they were all packed in a box somewhere in the back of the garage and you forgot about it. Much better to have them handy on your computer, on a thumb drive, on a DVD. That's what Legacy Box does. LegacyBox.com slash Ben. And they take really good care of your stuff. Like they mark it with a barcode so that you know where every piece of the inventory is at all times. They update it online to tell you the progress. Terrific, terrific service. LegacyBox.com slash Ben. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about Donald Trump's policy. So this is fun. We actually Let's do good Trump, bad Trump because we actually get to do some good Trump today, which is exciting. So good Trump, bad Trump. And as always, thanks to our composer, Brandon Snipes, here is Donald Trump. Good Trump. Yay, there it is. Good Trump. So that whole Mike Flynn debacle with the National Security Advisor, that ended up actually working out pretty well for the country because Mike Flynn is out and the guy who replaced him is a guy named H.R. McMaster. Now, H.R. McMaster is a lieutenant general and he is terrific. I've read his book, Dereliction of Duty. I read it, must have been 
now, seven, eight years ago, because there was a point when uh, the I think the Army, the War College, they posted online their recommended reading list. So I read everything on the recommended reading list, and one of those books was H.R. McMaster's book on the Vietnam War called Dereliction of Duty about the strategy that came out of the JFK and, and LBJ administrations with regard to the Vietnam War, why the strategy was flawed, and why the military should have stood up against the strategy instead of simply implementing a really crappy strategy, strategy called graduated escalation, uh, which was the idea that if we would gradually increase the number of troops in Vietnam, we'd squeeze the Viet Cong, and then they would surrender, as opposed to the way that wars are actually won, which is overwhelming force. There's a lot that you should know about H.R. McMaster. First of all, the guy has an awesome superhero name. Second of all, his, his army resume is really, really extensive. His previous command assignments included the Eagle Troop 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment in, in Germany and in Southwest Asia during the first Gulf War. He was uh, the, the commander. Uh, he was commander during Afghanistan. He was commander during Iraq. He wrote Dereliction of Duty, which, as I say, is a really good book. You should go to Amazon right now and pick it up. It's really a first-rate read. He's a great writer, and he's a really good thinker. He was, both, he was critical of both how Afghanistan and Iraq were planned. So what he wrote in Survival Magazine, he wrote, Gaps between prior visions of future warfare and the nature of the eventual wars themselves complicated efforts to adapt strategy over time. Minimalist linear plans in place at the outset of both wars were disconnected from the ambition of broader policy objectives and the complexity of the operating environment. Indeed, recent war plans have at times been essentially narcissistic, failing to account for interactions with determined enemies and other complicating variables. He was writing this in real time. He was saying, in, in real time, our strategy is not going to meet your objectives. If you want a long-term occupation, this ain't going to work. He used his own strategy uh, in a place called Talafar in Iraq, and George W. Bush called it a model of a successful strategy. He figured that Iraq could not build its own institutions, political or military, until safety was secured, so he devised his own plans in which he and his troops cleared the towns of insurgents and formed alliances, built trust with the local sheikhs and tribal leaders, and the campaign worked with a while, but only because McMaster flooded the area, right? He actually did what he had suggested in Dereliction of Duty. He flooded the area, and that was what they called the clear-hold-build strategy. Petraeus used McMaster as sort of his brain in devising his strategy with regard to Iraq. He was not selected for Brigadier General promotion before he finally received it in 2014. One of the reasons for that is because there are a bunch of retired generals who said that he was, he was upending the system too much. They didn't want to reward him. He is warned about cuts to the army. He's a really, really good nominee. He's about the best guy you could have in this particular slot. And he is also insured. He says that he would not come in. He said that he would not, he would not join, basically, unless he were guaranteed the until until unless he was guaranteed the picking of his own staff. So this was actually a big issue as Flynn left was Trump wanted to maintain Flynn's staff and McMaster came in and said, listen, you want me? You're going to have to let me pick my own guys, which is great. You want people like McMaster surrounding himself with really good people and giving Donald Trump really good advice. So whether Trump takes that advice, we'll find out. But good for Donald Trump for picking McMaster. Really, really good pick there. Other things that are good that Donald Trump is doing. So he's getting a lot of flack today because the White House has now stepped away from the transgender bathroom nonsense that Barack Obama foisted on the nation when he suggested that the federal government was going to cram down on local schools all around the country the idea that people could go to the bathroom basically of their choice or which or with which or the, that accommodated the sex with which they identify not their actual biological sex Trump has stepped away from that as well he should however you stand on the transgender bathroom debate which is really a silly debate in my opinion However you stand on that, this should be a local control issue. This should not be a federal issue. The idea that the federal government stepped in there in the first place is idiotic and good for Trump for stepping away from it. Apparently, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, wanted to maintain that, that policy 
uh, and uh, and the Attorney General Jeff Sessions did not, and Trump sided with Sessions. Right call from Donald Trump. Other good things that are happening under Trump. Scott Pruitt, who's the new head of the Environmental Protection Agency, he gave a speech at the EPA in which he basically told the regulators, look guys, your job is not to punish businesses, your job is to create a stable set of regulations that are predictable so that people can operate within the bounds of those regulations, which is exactly right. Here's Scott Pruitt, who is hotly contested, talking to all of his employees at the EPA. Regulations ought to make things regular. Uh, regulators exist to give certainty to those that they regulate. Uh, those that we regulate ought to know what's expected of them so that they can plan and allocate resources to comply. That's really the job of a regulator. And, and the process that we engage in in adopting regulations is very, very important because it sends a message. It sends a message that we take seriously our role of taking comment and, 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 and offering response and then making informed decisions on how it's going to impact those in the marketplace. This all sounds very vague, but what he's actually saying is that what regulators very often do is they make their own priorities the priority. They don't care about creating a stable business environment so that people know what the rules are, and they're constantly throwing monkey wrenches into the works. So good for Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt's a very good pick at EPA. I think he's really going to reform things over there. Where things are a little bit more vague remains on the deportation policy, what that's actually going to look like. So I wanted to talk about an email that I received yesterday, which I thought was really an interesting and good email that is worthy of thought and discussion. So I got an email yesterday from a from a person who suggested that uh, who suggested that yesterday when I said, you know, when we're overrating, you know, the level of change here, everybody needs to calm down a little bit. Everybody needs to stop worrying quite so much because not that much has happened yet. You know, why is everybody really going crazy? And this this immigration lawyer wrote to me who listens to the program, and he said. Well, you know, I, I think that that's a little bit overstated. Like, there are people whose lives have actually changed. There are people whose lives have actually changed. And he said, particularly in the immigration sphere. So he's an immigration lawyer. And what he said is that he is, uh, that, uh, what, I'm, I'm trying to find the exact email now. What he basically said was that there's a lot of vagueness as far as how the immigration plans are being implemented. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Because the because if you're an immigrant, you're an illegal immigrant, you don't know what to expect tomorrow. You don't know whether you're being deported or whether you're not being deported. The Obama and the Trump administration has been really vague on this. So they've issued an executive order that basically does say that you don't have to have committed a crime beyond being an illegal immigrant in order to be deported. But then they've also said that they're not going to be in favor of mass deportations. But then they've also arrested people who have come in to to report their their immigration compliance uh, to check in with the court. And then these people have been arrested and deported which has been a problem. I think that that's a fair critique. I do think that that's a fair critique. Sean Spicer didn't help when he added to the confusion a little bit yesterday. Here is uh, here's Sean Spicer talking about mass deportations. Um, is one of the goals here mass deportation? No. Not at all. This isn't, look, I, I think what we have to get back to is understanding a, a couple things. There's a law in place that says, you know, if you're in this country illegally, um, that we have an obligation to make sure that the people who are in this na in our country are here legally. What the order sets out today is ensures that the million or so people that have been adjudicated already, uh, that there's a uh, that ICE prioritizes, creates a system of prioritization, and make sure that that we walk through that system in a way that protects this country. This is consistent with everything the president has talked about, which is prioritizing uh, the people who are here who represent a threat to public safety or have a criminal record. Uh, and all this does is lay out the exact procedures to make sure that the, that, that subgroup of people who pose a threat to our nation because of a conviction or a violation 
uh, public safety or have a criminal record are adjudicated first and foremost. That that's it, plain and simple. Okay, so that's it. So that's fine, except for the fact that the executive order does a little bit more than that. So what you're getting from the Trump administration is we're not kind of mass deport, we're not knocking down doors, and then what you're getting in terms of the actual policy that's written out is that they have the capacity to do that. A little bit of clarity would be good. I think that it would be good for for Ann Coulter's heart rate if if she could if we could get a little clarity on what this policy actually looks like because it's still a little bit vague. We don't know what it looks like. So when I say don't panic yet, I'm not saying that we shouldn't keep an eye on it. I'm saying that we need better definition before we panic. That we we need a little bit of the de- better definition uh, before we panic on any of that. And before we go any further, we have to say thank you to another one of our great sponsors, Blue Apron. So if you're somebody who loves a home cooked meal but you don't actually know how to cook, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what ingredients to get, and every home cooked meal for you is macaroni and cheese from a box, then you need to talk with our friends over at Blue Apron. Blue Apron is this fantastic, fantastic company where you go to their their website, you subscribe basically, and you can buy meals that are shipped to you, but they ship the ingredients to you and then you cook it yourself. All of the meals take 40 minutes or less to prepare. It's $10 per meal. And we're talking like high, we're talking high level stuff. We're talking cashew chicken stir fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. I'm talking udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs, if I even pronounced that correctly. <laughs> we're talking about, for the non-Jewish among us, we're talking about roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. I mean, all of this stuff sounds fantastic. And I know that Andrew Clavin has cooked with Blue Apron. He loves it. I know that a lot of my friends have cooked with Blue Apron. They love it. It is very affordable. They provide variety. It's a new recipe pretty much every day, and they do not repeat recipes over the course of a year. So it's a constant stream of good food. And you never know how much you enjoy food until you eat the same thing every night or until you're on a set schedule with food. One of the wonderful things about Blue Apron is that they rotate all of these meals and everything is super duper fresh. Again, it's for less than $10 per meal per person. And they deliver these seasonal recipes along with those pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. They send these fresh, high-quality ingredients direct to your house really, really, really good stuff. And it makes mealtime into kind of a celebration of family and food, and that's what, that's what it should be. If you go right now to blueapron.com slash Shapiro, you get the first three meals free. With free shipping, which is a pretty awesome deal. BlueApron.com slash Shapiro. You will love how good it feels and how good it tastes to create these fantastic home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Check it out right now. BlueApron.com slash Shapiro. It's a huge thing in L.A. Like, everybody's using Blue Apron now, and they really should because it's awesome. So BlueApron.com slash Shapiro to check it out. Okay, so with all of this said, with all of the stuff that, that Trump is doing, a lot of which is really good, Now we have to discuss how we define and how we determine whether conservatives, when conservatives should stick with Trump and when they shouldn't stick with Trump. And this is not a, it's very weird. I think that we felt, as I said at the beginning, we've fallen into this binary thinking with regard to politicians. If the left hates someone, they must be our friend. The left hates Trump, therefore everything Trump does is good. And that's really silly. And at the same time, there are a lot of people who oppose Trump and they feel like if you oppose Trump, then that must make you good. That must be a good thing. As I've said before, I don't think it's important whether you oppose Trump or support Trump. I don't think Trump is important. I think that his policies are important. I think the things he says are important because he's president of the United States. And so it's a big mistake to identify your friends and enemies by simply defining a friend who you will always follow no matter what or defining an enemy you will always go against no matter what and you'll always assume they're wrong no matter what. That's a big mistake. And I want to talk a little bit more about that, but you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com to hear all of that. Become a subscriber for $8 a month over at dailywire.com. We have a lot of goodies coming. If you become a subscriber right now, the goodie we're giving away is a is a fictional film called The Arroyo, which you can check out. I think we're doing a live stream of The Arroyo, actually, on Friday on Facebook. So you can check out uh, The Arroyo there. Do we have a trailer for it, actually? 
We were supposed to grab a trailer. If not, then we'll have the trailer for it tomorrow, and we'll play that um, on uh, on Daily Wire, so you can check out what it is that you're getting if you become a subscriber at DailyWire.com. We're going to play the whole movie on Friday uh, on our Facebook page, so check that out. So DailyWire.com, eight bucks a month for subscribing. Annual subscription, you get that video, plus you get uh, all sorts of goodies. The Shapiro store is supposed to open. I keep saying this, but it will open in the very, very near future, and there will be all sorts of new things that are wonderful, including I really want to get those buttons. I had a button at my speech last night. Uh, there, there are a bunch of people who wore stickers that said, uh, UCSB against hate, UC Santa Barbara against hate. So I wore a button that said, me against you sucking. So I think that uh, we'll make some goods like that available to you as well because you should let all your friends know that you are against them sucking. So we'll, we'll definitely make that available. But check that out. Also, you can listen later, obviously, at iTunes or SoundCloud. We are the most listened to and most watched conservative podcast in the nation. All righty, so back to the story at hand. I think that everybody wants to polarize around Trump or around the left instead of polarizing around principle, and that is a problem. So I'll give you an example. The left is suggesting that if Republicans want to be seen as good people, they have to break with Trump. Here's Chuck Schumer talking about the hope of America is that Republicans break with Trump. Let me put it like this. When you talk to Republicans quietly, you know, in the cloakroom, in the gym, they are having real problems with him. Uh Now, very few, John McCain, to his credit, but very few have had the courage to oppose him, even though they know he's doing a lot of things that are against what America about. What are they Well, they're party loyalists. He's Mm -hmm. given them a Supreme Court nominee that they want. Mm -hmm. But my prediction is he keeps up on this path, which is likely. I don't think he'll change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Within three, four months, you're going to see a whole lot of Republicans breaking with him. And that's the salvage of America. That is the hope of America. The hope of America is that the Republicans break with Trump. Why? What if Trump is doing good things? Like, I'm not breaking with him on the policies that he's doing right. I'm breaking with him on the stuff that he does wrong. But... Again, if you're on the left, the only thing that matters is opposing Trump. That's the only thing that matters. And it's not just people like Schumer. Right? George Will has said this too. Right? And George Will, who I agree with a lot of the time, you know, I, I've, I've always thought George Will was a little milquetoast, but he was not during this election cycle. He's talking about conservatives breaking with Trump, with Lawrence O'Donnell. We'll get to Lawrence O'Donnell in just a second because he's a nutcase. But here, here's George Will talking about, about whether conservatives ought to break with Trump. But it is, again, I think when they realize all that you embrace when you embrace protectionism, enormous executive discretion, government planning, essentially, what we can consume and how the economy will work and who shall be winners and who shall be losers, when they realize the slippery slope they're on, away from bedrock conservative principles, I think the, the things will change by midsummer. Okay, so what he's saying is that people are, if you embrace Trump with both hands, then you're going to go down with him. Again, I think that it's not important whether you embrace Trump. I think it's important whether you embrace his policies. And I, I do, I've been saying for literally a year now, more than a year, that there is a serious danger to embracing all of Trump's policies just because you like that the left hates Trump. It's a big mistake. So I'll give you some poll numbers right now on Vladimir Putin because this is just another example of how Donald Trump has shifted sort of the morality of the Republican Party, which is a problem. Just because you hate the left doesn't mean that you have to love everything that Trump is doing. Here's the poll numbers right now. Poll. Is Russia an ally or friendly to the United States or unfriendly and an enemy? According to Democrats, naturally, 76% think that, that they're an enemy. That's because Democrats think that Russia hacked the election and threw it to Trump. The more shocking statistic is that 50% of Republicans think that Russia is an ally or friendly. 50%. That is not true. Russia is not an ally or a friendly. Okay, Russia has invaded Ukraine. 
Russia has invaded NATO, is, is preparing to invade NATO allies. I mean, they've, they've literally stationed missiles on the doorstep of NATO allies. Russia is building up in places like Kaliningrad, which is like a little outpost uh, that, is, that is directly located next to NATO allies. Russia has basically taken over Syria. Russia is the great funder behind Iran. Russia is a very, very negative force in the world. And for 50% of Republicans to say they see Russia as an ally or friend, that is people just falling into the trap of, I'm going to believe Trump no matter what he says. What's interesting is the generational divide about Russia. So if you look at the generational divide, Republicans above the age of 45, the majority of them, vast majority of them say that Russia is an enemy. But if you look at, if you look at, People who are under the age of 45, vast majority say that Russia is an ally or friend, which says that people who are sort of more malleable about politics, people who are younger, more malleable about politics, they're following Trump down the, down the primrose path. And that's a real danger. It's a real danger. I think we saw that danger manifest this week. Anytime you have this routine where you follow any figure, where instead of following principle, if you embrace a figure rather than embracing principle, you're going to end up going down in flames when that figure goes down in flames. We saw some of that this week. I fear that that's where it could go. With Trump. With that said, the Democrats are going full scale against Trump, not because Trump has done anything super terrible right now, but just because they feel like they need to go full scale against Trump. Lawrence O'Donnell is one of these. He says we should actually invoke the 25th Amendment, declare that Donald Trump is presidentially unfit, and then depose him, basically. And here is something the president does not know about his vice president, something that should make Donald Trump fear Mike Pence more than anyone else in the world. It is uniquely within Mike Pence's power to take the presidency away from Donald Trump. The vice president has the constitutional power to do that, thanks to the wisdom of the 25th Amendment enacted in 1967. The 25th okay, Amendment provided for... But again, the partisanship on both sides has become so strong that it's like Donald Trump has to be deposed. For doing what? What did he do so far that's de- that, that, that would require Mike Pence to step up and call him you know, a senile and unfit for the presidency and just take the presidency away from him. There's no legal basis for doing that, obviously. Now, that said, on the right, you've got people who are basically embracing anybody, including people who are bad. Some of these people are bad themselves. They're, they're willing to embrace anything so long as the left hates that thing. And Pat Buchanan is the ultimate example of this. I think Pat Buchanan's a, a sleazebag. I've, I thought Pat Buchanan's a sleazebag my entire career. And if you look at his long record of statements about Jews, if you look at his long record of statements uh, about black folks, I think that Pat Buchanan actually has some real problems uh, with, uh, with racism and anti-Semitism. Um, but that being, uh, put that aside for a second, here's what Pat Buchanan, who's become sort of a loud voice in the alt-right movement, Here's him mocking CPAC for, quote-unquote, censoring Milo. So Milo Yiannopoulos obviously was uninvited from CPAC after this tape broke of him. Uh, and I haven't talked about it for a specific reason. I don't want to kick a guy when he's down. I have you know, a lot to say about it, but I think that that will be appropriate at a time when that's appropriate. I will say this. I think that the right's dramatic failure, dramatic failure to excise real nastiness simply because the left is pissed off by this nastiness, that means that our standards are extraordinarily low. The fact that the right was willing to go along with all of Milo's shtick, including him doing things like calling somebody a thick-as-pig bleep media Jew at his lecture a couple of weeks ago and telling a girl in a hijab she shouldn't be wearing a hijab in America. And, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. You know, I'm not even going to mention the stuff that Milo's done to me personally. Well, I will mention one thing. I mean, sending a picture to me of a black baby on the day of my child's birth kind of demonstrates where Milo was at. All of this nobody had any problem with for a year. But then the tape breaks of him talking about how it's okay for 30-year-olds to screw 13-year-olds, and suddenly everybody's up. And I'm glad that we found a line, gang. But apparently we didn't even find that line, because Pat Buchanan says CPAC shouldn't have censored Milo's. And I'll explain why this is silly. 
Well, this, uh, my view, I would not have invited him, but let me say this. I mean, this, there is this element of humor here, and that CPAC is going to show up the terrible speech codes being imposed on campuses that don't let <coughs> Milo speak, and then they don't let Milo speak. <laughs> <laughs> As they, what is the comedian that says, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, no, not exactly. Look, it's, a, it's an excellent issue, and I might, I mean, just, you know, uh, in this sense, in this sense, philosophical sense, yeah. is where are the, where, who, where are the lines to be drawn as to what is tolerable and moral and acceptable speech, and who draws those lines? Mm. Okay, well, who draws those lines is CPAC, and my big problem is that they didn't draw the line in the first place. They, they shouldn't have invited the alt-right provocateur to speak in the first place, but once they invited him, you know, when Pat Buchanan says that they should have, they should have not censored him, it's not censorship, okay? I'm sorry, it isn't. When, when a private organization decides that they don't want you at a place, that is not technically censorship. It's the reason why I didn't get myself arrested when I went and spoke it to Paul, and I specifically said on the news that night, to Paul has every right to ban me. Do I think they should? No, because I think that's stupid. Do I think that a conservative group has the right to pick who's going to be a spokesperson for it and who they're going to embrace. Absolutely, I do. But again, I think there's a tendency on the right to say, well, if people piss people off, that means if people piss people off on the left, that must mean they're good. That's silly. You know, Sean Hannity does this on a routine basis. Every time Donald Trump does something wrong that he doesn't like, he immediately goes, well, where's the outrage about the people on the left? So he did that a little bit last night. Question, if you call the president a Nazi or compare him to Hitler, are you inciting violence against him? I'm going to be the first to tell you a truth that nobody in the media will ever tell you. They're all overpaid, myself included. They're not struggling to pay their mortgages like I did for two decades of my life and put food on the table like so many of you Americans working so hard for so little and the government taking more and more every day. So let me be clear. To the whiny crybaby snowflakes in the liberal alt-left media that are worried about their safety, how about you lead by example and maybe stop calling the president and comparing him to Hitler? Okay, so he's right that the media should not compare him to Hitler and that the media are whiny. I agree with a lot of that, although whenever he says things like alt-left, the only place that alt-left has a meaning is on his sh There's no such thing as the alt-left. They're just the left. They're bad. And you don't need an alt-left. The whole point of the alt-right is they called themselves the alt-right because they said we're not the right, we're sort of a new right. In any case, what Hannity is saying there is he's excusing Donald Trump calling the press the enemies of the American people by saying, well, the press hate him. Okay, so, so, I mean, really, real, real question. Why aren't you standing by what Donald Trump is fighting for as opposed to standing by Trump because a bunch of people on the left hate him? If you're going to define yourself in opposition to somebody, you are always, this is true in relationships as it's true in friendships as it's true in politics. If you define yourself by the enemy of my enemy is my friend and then and like my actual friend, not my ally, not my sometimes ally, my friend, like the enemy of my enemy is somebody I embrace wholeheartedly, you're going to end up embracing some pretty crappy people because it turns out that sometimes your enemy hates something because that thing is actually bad. It's very rare that somebody is wrong 100% of the time, right? Even Stalin hated the Nazis. It didn't mean the Nazis were great because Stalin hated them, and Stalin was one of the worst human beings ever to set foot on planet Earth. Okay, time for some stuff I like, and then some stuff I hate, and then we'll do a little bit of Bibble talk. So, um, so we'll, we'll do that. Well, actually, you know what? We'll do that in just a second. First, we have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. 
So if you are concerned about the way the economy is, is you think the stock market is inflated, even if you're not, even if you think everything is solid, hunky-dory, it's all going to be great, you should have a portion of your money in precious metals. And the reason for that is it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against volatility in the market. And Birch Gold ensures that you are not going to go broke if things really break down. That's why a lot of people are moving their 401k or their IRA into physical gold with Birch Gold, birchgold.com slash Ben. If you go there, then you can get a comprehensive 16-page kit revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings. You should ask all your questions, get all of your answers. You shouldn't take every dollar you own and put it into gold because that's silly. But you should take some of the dollars you own and put them into precious metals as a hedge. I've done it. I think virtually everybody who's a good investor has taken at least some of their money and put it into precious metals that's never been worth zero. Uh, The value of gold is always going to have value. Birchgold.com is the place to do it. Birchgold.com slash Ben, A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and you can check them out uh, at birchgold.com slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like. Uh, I, we've been doing con men this week for, uh, for unspecified reasons, and, um, and there is a, uh, there's a great movie about a con woman uh, called The Lady Eve. And very few people have actually seen this film. It's a fantastic movie. It's, it's Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck. And it's kind of one of these sexy old films that, uh, that, that is really too hot for the Hayes Code. Um, and it's great. I mean, it's just a, it's a wonderful comedy, really funny comedy. Uh, the Lady Eve, uh, and uh, here's a little bit of the trailer. Here's the gorgeous, tantalizing Lady Eve. Now, watch her go into action. She has her eye on this handsome, wealthy, but terribly naive and inexperienced young man who hasn't seen a white woman for a year. Now, every woman has her eyes on him. Big women. The old racism. (laughs) Little women. But with big claws. And that smoldering, simmering, exotic type. But only Lady Eve knows how to get him. Lady Eve, glamorous creation of Preston Sturgis, who gave you the hilarious Drake McGinty, the death comedy of Christmas in July. Now meet Barbara Stanwyck, his very, very vexy Lady Eve, bewitching, bewildering, and very bothering to Henry Fonda, a modern Adam. Okay, so the the, the film is is actually really funny. It's it's hilarious how they have these kind of like. When you watch old old time film and then you watch the trailers, it is amazing how there's just like this random racist reference there. He hasn't seen a white woman in a year. <laughs> okay, there, calm down. Um, but the movie, I put the trailer aside. There's no actual racism in the movie. The movie's really really good, uh, and uh, and the movie is is basically about this con girl who finds this rich guy Henry Fonda and decides that uh, she is going to sink her hooks into him. And, uh, and then she actually ends up falling in love with him. So it's, it's a really great romantic comedy, really old school romantic comedy. Great cast, Charles Coburn and Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck, so you can check that out. Uh, it's a very good film. Uh, other things that I like. So I'm glad to see that more women, and they're, they're all apparently women on the right, or a lot of them are. More women are deciding that they are not going to go along with the nonsense that suggests that, uh, that they're going to have to wear a headscarf in front of a bunch of a bunch of religious Muslims at political meetings. That's one thing if you say, I'm going to go to mosque and therefore I'm going to don the headscarf out of respect for the religion. It's another thing to meet with a political leader who happens to be of a different religion and say, I'm going to don the headscarf because I don't want to offend you. That's a bunch of garbage. That's a bunch of garbage. And that's inexcusable. Marine Le Pen uh, would not do it. She won't wear the headscarf. 
Uh, and uh, and that's what she said. She said, I'm not going to she's the, the right wing politician. There's some problems with her, but she's right on this. She says, I'm not going to put on the headscarf just to meet with the, this grand mufti um, for political reasons. Eat with the country's grand mufti in Lebanon, but you refuse to wear the headscarf. So she chose to cancel the meeting instead of doing it. So good for her. Good for her. We saw something similar to this uh, in Iran. There was supposed to be this great chess championship in Iran, and two women who were supposed to play in it refused to wear the headscarf and gave up their shot at the world title because of it. This is why you should not hold events in terrorist countries like Iran. But that's uh, but good for Marine Le Pen. And I'd like to see more feminists in the West focus more on this sort of thing as opposed to focusing on how you get to abort babies three days after they're born. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Let's do it. So things that I hate. The media have lost their ever-loving minds over Donald Trump's Sweden comments where he said that there was a terrorist attack in Sweden, sort of, but not really. Okay, so it turns out not only was there a riot yesterday in Sweden, a Muslim riot in Sweden, apparently, now the New York Times is reporting that Danish Muslims fighting on behalf of ISIS are still receiving Danish welfare payments. So this is the beauty of of the European lifestyle. Multiculturalism combined with a massive welfare state means that you're very often paying the welfare bills of people who actually want to kill Westerners and kill Europeans. This is not the first case like this. About 145 Danes have traveled to Syria or Iraq to fight for militant groups since 2012, according to the security services. Since last year, municipal and state authorities had been trying to collect about 95 grand in welfare benefits paid to 29 citizens who'd gone over to fight for ISIS. That's not the first that we've heard of this. We know that the the Berlin Christmas market terrorist who killed 12 and injured 48 back in December, he was on German welfare. Terrorists in Paris in 2015 were on German welfare in Brussels in 2016. They were on the the welfare rolls in Brussels. So this has become a common thing. And that's because when you have a continent that says that all cultures are created equal and they're equally valid and equally decent and then pays all of their bills, you're going to end up with a lot of terrorists on welfare. And and even if they're not terrorists, you're going to end up with a lot of people who are not integrated to Judeo-Christian values or European civilizational values because they're on welfare. People are paying their bills. One of the things that forced people in the olden days into embracing Judeo-Christian values and into embracing sort of European civilization was the fact that no one was going to pay your bills. If you wanted to integrate into society, you had to abide by certain basic societal rules. Now, when we pay for you to remain in your own enclaves, living the same lifestyle that you lived back in Syria or that you lived back in Libya, you're going to end up with these enclaves that have nothing to do with the West, and you're just paying their bills. You might as well just give foreign aid to the country from which these places came, And then at least they won't be located in the heart of your civilization. It's a real problem. It's a growing problem. It's a problem, by the way, that's been acknowledged by people who are both left and right in Europe. I mean, David Cameron, the the British prime minister until recently, in 2011, he said that state multiculturalism was destroying the West. You know who else says that? Angela Merkel, the lady who's imported like a million Muslim immigrants from the Middle East. She said multiculturalism leads to parallel societies and remains a life lie. She said the challenge is immense. We want and we will reduce the number of refugees noticeably. She's been saying that for years. She said the multicultural concept has failed utterly. That's, that's Angela Merkel. That's Angela Merkel. It's a pretty amazing. Uh, you know, and, and, and yet Europe continues to embrace this policy. And again, when, when this is sort of where enemy of my enemy is my friend routine goes, Europe, a lot of Europeans hate Donald Trump so much that they think he's wrong on everything he says. He is not wrong on everything he says. And a lot of Europeans are about to, are about to elect right-wing governments because Donald Trump is not wrong when he says state multiculturalism combined with the giant welfare state has been a giant failure. Okay, other things that I hate. So I made the mistake of watching Manchester by the Sea. Um, and, you know, I, I try to watch the Best Picture nominees every year. 
and I uh, I was not pleased by this film. Here's the trailer for Manchester by the Sea, which is nominated for Best Picture. Casey Affleck is up for Best Actor. If you could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man, he was going to keep you happy, if it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I think you're wrong about that. Hello, this is Lee. What happened to my brother? So that's Lee Lee Chen, huh? I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I swear. Yeah. What the, if you look, watch the trailer, what this looks like it's going to be is basically kind of like ordinary people, right? His brother dies, uh, not, not plot-wise, but just in terms of the, the inter-family dynamic. So it looks like what this movie is going to be is Casey Affleck's brother dies, and now he's given custody of this kid, and what is he going to do with this? And he's got some tragedy in his past that haunts him, so what's he going to do about taking care of this kid? And there will be some sort of character arc, a transformation. By the end, he'll have learned something. The kid will have learned something. None of that happens. None of it. Okay, the only thing that happens is that his brother dies and he has to figure out what to do with the kid, but none of the rest of it happens. There are no character arcs. And as to the idea that Casey Affleck gives a stunning performance in this film, Casey Affleck is a block of wood in this film. It's like Ben Affleck took over Casey Affleck's body. And I like Casey Affleck. I think he's a good actor. But I've seen performances from him that are so much better than this. In Gone Baby Gone, he's terrific. Um, but this, but in this film, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. It's two hours of absolute boredom marred by one of the most heart-rending scenes ever. You know, it's a, it's a, there's one scene that is just vomit-inducing, you know, upsetting. And that is the only scene in the movie that's effective. The rest of the movie is basically him stumbling around like a block of wood, not doing anything. And, and the kid who he's supposed to take care of doesn't have a transformation either. Right? The kid is supposed to be good, I guess. But the kid's a little piece of crap. I mean, the kid's like, in, in the movie, the kid's like, he's like 17 years old. And he's a real jerk. The kid's a real jerk, and, and Casey Affleck doesn't teach him how to be a better person. He doesn't say, here are some life lessons I've learned the hard way. Instead, it's basically him stumbling around for two hours. Not a good movie. Not a great performance. Most, this one goes on my most overrated films of the year list. Now, I've seen a lot of films this year that had really high praise. Arrival had really high praise. I thought it was pretty good. La La Land had really high praise. I liked a lot of things about it. This had really high praise, and um, I don't know if everybody was blind or deaf or if they'd been hit in the face with a frying pan. But this is actually not a good film. The some of the other performances are good, but th this, is not a, this is not a good film in any real way. So uh, just warning you off Manchester by the Sea, don't waste two hours of your life that you won't be able to get back. I would, I, I'm, I'm so angry at this movie that I would almost spoil it for you, but I'm not quite that cruel. Um, you know, what, what happened to him that prevents him from having a good life? Uh, but it's, uh, no. Okay, so other things that I hate. April Ryan is a reporter for, I think it's American Urban Radio Network. And this is just insane. She was at a press conference with Sean Spicer, and the following exchange took place. What did the president uh, gain from his tour today? Um, you talked about where he visited, uh, the, exhibits, the exhibits that he visited. Did he also visit slavery? And the reason why I'm uh, asking this is because when he was candidate Trump, he said things like, you know, we made this country, meaning... Uh, white America, not necessarily black. Did he gain? Well, well, I don't know why you would say that. What do you mean? No, no, no. He said that. I heard him say that. Well, no, no. But look, the answer to your question is right. One of the first exhibits that he visited uh, was one of the slavery exhibits. 
Okay, so she says, right, her actual accusation in this case is she says that Donald Trump said, we made this country, meaning white America, not necessarily black. And so everybody went, wait, 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 when did he say that? Like, Donald Trump said a lot of bad stuff, right? On this show, we've highlighted some of the bad things that he said. But he never said that. I mean, there is no evidence whatsoever that Donald Trump ever said anything remotely like that. Now, the Democrats have been trying to push this for a long time. The Democrats have been trying for a long time to push this notion that Donald Trump, when he says make America great again, he means make America white again, that he doesn't want black people. That's a total misread. There's no reason to think that what he actually means is we need fewer black people. He's made a lot of his campaign, actually, about helping the inner cities. He continues to talk about that. He went heavy after the black vote in this election cycle and specifically talked about problems in the inner city community. And said things that I really agree with in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of people should agree with in a lot of ways. Um, but the idea that that Trump is some sort of covert racist and that what's really happening here is something you know egregious and that he said these things, you can't just make things up. You can't just say that your narrative is the truth of what actually happened. You can't just make things up and then pretend that that's what Donald Trump said because he didn't say it. And then you wonder why people think the media is biased and they believe Trump instead of you. That's the reason they believe Trump instead of you, because you say things that are just not true and then you suggest that they're true. Okay, so that's that's really terrible. Okay, final thing that I hate. There's there, these stories pop up every so often, and they're really stupid. There's a transgender. There's a transgender girl, which means he's a boy. He's a teenage boy, and he's being allowed to wrestle in the girls' wrestling category. Okay, so the, the, a lot of the girls, a couple of the girls' parents sued. They claim that allowing the wrestler to compete while using testosterone exposes other athletes to imminent threat of bodily harm. Okay, because they're in different weight classes. Steroid use is, uh, is allowed under what's known as a safe harbor provision because the steroids are okay as long as the doctor is prescribing them. But, th- I mean, this is insane. I'm sorry. Boys' musculature is not the same as girls' musculature. I'm sorry, but the feminists made the way for this by saying that boys and girls are exactly the same in every way. But boys and girls are not exactly the same in every way. A boy wrestling a girl is not a fair, it's not a fair assignment. It's just not fair. Okay, like, we have a lot of tough girls in this office. Okay, and I'm not super-duper tough guy. Okay, if I fought any of the girls in this office, I would win because I'm a guy. I have higher body density and mass. Okay, the idea that I wouldn't win is silly because I don't care. Like all the movies where they have some, you know, 100 pound soaking wet girl and she kicks a guy and he goes flying through a door. You know what actually happened if a girl kicked a guy and she's 100 pounds and he's like 200 pounds and muscular like in the movies? You know what happened? The guy would grab her by the foot and slam her into a wall. Okay, the, the weight difference makes a lot. Even in even among men, weight difference makes a difference. There's a reason why you don't have lightweights fighting heavyweights in the men's division, let alone men fighting women. But here, you know, it's it's now allowed because we all have to pretend along with the stupidity that says that transgenderism is biological sex. It isn't. It's ridiculous and silly in every single way. Okay, brief note on on Bible talk. So. Every week, as we say, the Jews read one portion of the Bible. Uh, The portion this week is Mishpatim. I really like Mishpatim because it gets to laws. As you know, I'm a fan of law. As you know, I'm a fan of rules. I think rules are important for society. So here is a couple of laws that I think are really important. I'm not going to get to some of the more controversial ones because uh, those require longer explanation explication. But this is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. You shall not accept a false report. Do not place your hand with a wicked person to be a false witness. You hearing this, everyone in politics? Do not place your hand with a wicked person to be a false witness. doesn't matter what you're trying to do. doesn't matter what effect you're trying to have. doesn't matter what you're trying to, how you're trying to finish the job. Bearing false witness, you're not allowed to do it. You shall not follow the majority for evil. You shall not respond concerning a lawsuit to follow many to pervert justice. You shall not follow the majority for evil. You understand? If you're a judge, if you're a witness, if you're a human being, do not follow the majority for evil just because... 
somebody is in the winning side does not confer virtue upon them. Wasn't true for Obama, wasn't true for Trump, isn't true for anybody. Just because someone says that they're winning and winning and all they do is win and you need me because all I do is win, that doesn't mean that you have the moral obligation or in fact even the moral go-ahead to go along with them if they're doing and saying immoral things just because this is something we have to do to win. You shall not follow the majority for evil. And I like this one. Neither shall you glorify a poor man in his lawsuit. And the reason that the, the Torah says this, the reason the Bible says this, is because they know the temptation is going to be for your sympathies to be with the poor guy. But justice is not done when you pursue social justice. This verse alone rips away half of the moral stature of the social justice movement, if not all of it. The social justice movement suggests that if you are poor, you are, you are now more virtuous and now we should pervert the law in order to accommodate you. The Bible says, no, you can't glorify a poor person in his lawsuit because we know that your sympathies are going to be with the poor person. It is indicative of your moral standing that you, that you, not, that you not embrace social justice instead of individual justice. Poverty does not matter when it comes to justice. Something is either true or it's false. Something is either just or it's unjust. And the identity of the person is secondary to the principle. Okay, so we'll be back tomorrow with much, much more. And uh, we'll have mailbag tomorrow. So if you haven't subscribed, you need to go over to Daily Wire right now, right now, and subscribe. You do that, you get to be part of the live mailbag. We'll read a bunch of questions. It'll be lots of fun. And your life will be ever so much richer for having done so. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.